Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Five to shoot. Harris looks up. Gotta go. Brown knows it. He's got it. That's the got shot. It. Got it. Maybe the one... Dagger in the game. You mentioned it. Big time dagger. First to drive to finish. Get the puppies organized. Fill it. Big time. Well, yeah. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Glenn Mack now along with Ray Dinger. Uh, Ray, uh, Nova took more daggers last night than uh, than Mac the Knife could have provided. <laughs> and with that, I'm sorry, I just tried to come up with something in the moment. That's okay. I don't know how many people will get that reference. Uh, but... He is Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Mack now on this rainy Sunday morning in the Delaware Valley. And, yes, it was a tough evening for the Villanova Wildcats as uh, Kansas. They got out to a lead at the beginning of that game, Ray. What was it, 25 to nothing? <laughs> it felt like that. It felt oh, like that. man, it did. And Kansas ends up beating Jay Wright and the boys 81 to 65. And I got to tell you, at times, it really didn't feel that close. I never – I know Nova made a couple runs. Did you ever get the sense – that the Wildcats were going to be able to grab that lead? No, I didn't. No, I think they cut it to six, um, which, I mean, I guess looks like they're back in the game, but you never really got the feeling that they were ever going to quite get over the hump. And, yeah. uh, you know, the game, that was not the way they wanted to play the game. You know, they wanted to – we talked yesterday a lot during the show about how the, the Wildcats wanted to play it, and pretty obvious. I mean, they wanted to – play at a slope they wanted to play at their pace control the ball uh, keep the score down keep it close put yourself in a position where you could win it at the end uh, and you know, the, ideally the, the ideal Villanova game is usually played in the 50s maybe the 60s but if you thought if you had said if you had said to me before that well, Kansas is going to score 80 I would have said well Villanova has no chance and that's kind of what happened you know Kansas jumped out 10 nothing and Alt Villanova was playing uphill the rest of the way, and they just didn't didn't have the horses to pull it off. Correct. Uh, I have to tell you, I um, I ordered a pizza, and I sat down at the the snack table in front of the big TV, and the pizza arrived at six, Ray, and like by six twenty, I had indigestion. Mm -hmm. it just it just it, it was there. Um, and by the way, Kansas goes on to play North Carolina, who uh, had a gr just a Great win yesterday over Duke of the Nightcap. Very exciting game. We're going to talk about that one more in just a minute. But, yeah, you, you kind of discussed this. Jay had a small guard-centric lineup, if that's a word. And it worked for him all year. And then last night, you know, six foot ten, David McCormick, 
Uh, as they say in Bull Durham, David McCormick announced his presence with authority. Mm-hmm. Led all scores, had 25 points, 10 of 12 shooting, monster first half. And uh, to kind of get back to what you said, Jay Wright said after the game, it was it was our game plan to not let him get going. Him is in McCormick. And we made some mistakes, but not being in contact with him, letting him catch and shoot, it was not our game plan going in. You go down 10 to nothing against a team that good, you're in trouble. Um, yeah, they needed to – no, Villanova needed to hit the threes. Uh, they needed to bank on great free throw shooting, which they had had all tournament, all season, and they, they never really got the chance. They, Ray, they couldn't get off a clean shot in those first 10 minutes. No, they couldn't, and they did look um, – they did look jittery at the beginning. I mean, one of the things – one of the things that's fairly typical of a Jay Wright team is the team, they don't turn the ball over. They don't make mistakes. They make their foul shots. They're very fundamentally really, really sound. Uh, and in this game, they came out and they turned the ball over a bunch early, which is what accounted for the 10 nothing hole they found themselves in. And they could just never get out of it. You know, they, I think they had four turnovers in the first couple of minutes and that allowed Kansas to break out to that lead. And you know, you say, well, 10 nothing early in the game. I mean, that's not that hard. Yeah, it is. When you're playing against a, a really good team, which Kansas certainly is, a team with a lot of depth, and you're shorthanded, um, it's, just, it's, it's just too much to overcome. And, you know, the Cats made a couple of runs. I mean, they had a couple of runs where they got close. But as you said, even when they got it to six, I just never had the feeling that they, had, they, had, they were taking control of the game. You always yeah. got the feeling that – you know, the next possession down down the court, they're going to dump it inside to McCormick. He's going to get a basket, or they're going to hit a three, and they're going to restore control. The, you know, Kansas was in control really from the beginning of that game, and full credit to them. I mean, they're they're a good team. They got a lot of good players. They got a lot of depth. They're well coached, and you know, they had had some moments in the tournament where they looked a little vulnerable. You know, they didn't play great against Miami. They played kind of okay to get past Creighton. Providence, you know, they hadn't really looked. That's one of the reasons why I kind of thought, you know, Villanova might have a chance here because I didn't think that Kansas looked like a super team through the tournament. They were shown in all of the games up to this point, they had shown you know, signs of a little vulnerability. Not yesterday. Yesterday they played their best game, and good for them. And if they play one more game like that tomorrow night, guess what? They're going to be national champions. Yeah, and they're big. Ooh, they're a big team, and they're well-coached, and their defense just smothered the, that full-court press. Colin Gillespie... Who had a, a fine enough game? He had 17 points, um, hit five for eight threes, which is always a great number. Um, but they forced turnovers, and and that was that. And his career ends. Great Villanova player, and that career ends. Um, and so that season ends, and then you get the second game of the night, Ray. And let's just play a highlight from that one. Love Ooh. top of the key. Oh, big time delivery. Caleb Love, um, that game, that second game, North Carolina against Duke was an instant classic, right? A, a, a back-and-forth um, demonstration of you know the best rivalry in college basketball, uh, all the backstory with Coach K uh, in his final year in what proved to be his final game. Had a young team. They weren't able to do it. Tar Heels coming in as an eight seed into the tournament. Didn't we talk yesterday about how Nova won the tournament as an eight seed back in 85, lowest seed ever to win? Yep. Well, maybe that gets duplicated as North Carolina North Carolina wins and Mike Krzyzewski's legendary coaching career is over, thanks to uh, Hubert Davis. First, This is Hubert Davis' first year there, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. How about that? 
Guess he didn't believe in the storybook narrative there. Uh, no, <laughs> apparently not. Right. Nobody gave him the script. Apparently not. Time. I mean, he's uh, well. I mean, this is twice now. I mean, they, you know, Shashevsky's last game in Cameron in Cameron Fieldhouse, yeah. last the last game at Duke. Um, North Carolina spoiled the party that day, and then you get another shot at him here in the tournament, and Shashevsky has a chance to go out as the champion, and Carolina spoils it again. So yeah, I mean these guys obviously are not into sentiment. These guys are these guys are not uh, they're not about uh, those kinds of storylines. They just they just go out and play. And uh, the last two the last two losses that Mike Shashevsky suffered. I mean I can't imagine them being any more painful than than losing those those games with all of that significance and losing them to your most bitter rival. Yeah, it was great. I enjoyed it thoroughly. So I'm sure you so, did. Oh yeah. So I mean, listen, I was bummed out watching the Nova game. I. I thought it was going to be a game, and it really never was much of a game. It was just disappointing. And then that's—I am an anti-Dukeite. I, I will get into that in a second. So I thoroughly enjoyed seeing that. Not as much, by the way, as our friend Mike Vrieswick, former Temple player, who posted last night on Facebook: "So long, rat face." <laughs> Mike might be bitter about a loss, what, thirty something years ago. But yeah, you know. well, that uh, the Duke um, Duke ended Temple's greatest season. Uh, and uh, that was the Billy King team, our our WIP our WIP colleague, yeah. and uh, yeah, listen, I felt that one too. I mean, I was you know I'm a Temple guy, and that was that was a great Temple team, coached by John Cheney with a freshman Mark Macon, and they were number one in the country at one oh, point in that season. The the dream man, sure. and going into that you know, and going into that playoff, I mean, I, I had real hopes that they might actually win the thing, and and Duke just. Duke just took him to school. Are you an anti-Dukeite? Uh, not to the degree that you are. <laughs> yeah, but you're more moderate in everything. Yeah, that's generally true. So you are an anti-Dukeite. I am not a Duke fan. Let's put it that way. Oh, right. You're, you're evading. Your Honor, the witness is evading the question, right? <laughs> if I bring up to you Christian Leitner and Grayson Allen, those those shading, tripping plays he had a couple of years ago. And if I, if I bring up to you the Cameron crazies who refused to sit down and wave within three inches of <laughs> opponents, if I, if I bring up to you, Ray, that Duke fans have been known to chant, taunt safety school toward opponents, and we're smart, you're dumb at uh, UNC players. Mm-hmm. If I bring up the, the, the arrogant sanctimoniousness of Coach K uh, and dressing down student reporters when he doesn't like their questions and his, his refusal to bench uh, Allen, Grayson Allen, for dirty play. Mm-hmm. If I bring up all of that and if I bring up all of the elitist Duke fans who travel this country telling everybody within four seconds of meeting him that I went to Duke, that blue-blooded embodied privilege ray if i bring all of that up to you does it resonate <laughs> not really. i'm just trying to play the middle here right <laughs> not really yeah not come really. on i come listen on. i have you know one of my best friends one of my best friends in high school uh, uh, a guy named frank ryan who was the best athlete in our class for sure future cleveland brown quarterback uh no different frank ryan okay. different frank ryan but it was the best athlete in our class by yeah. far was recruited yeah. by everybody mm. uh and a good friend of mine um i mean he he went to duke right. i mean he had, he had the opportunity he went there played baseball and football had a terrific career and then you know, and I, listen, I was I was rooting for Duke when Frank was there, and our well, and our mutual our mutual good friend, friend Brian Baldinger is a Duke guy, uh, and on. that's listen. I know 
I, I, Mike, Mike Golick, who I like, and he's a good guy, went to Notre Dame. Doesn't mean I have to root for Notre Dame. I can root for Mike and not Notre Dame, right? I don't have to root for the, the, the evil, the incarnate that is the thing. See, here's a difference between you and I. First of all, playing the one of my best friends cards, right? I expected more from you. But no, it's here's the truth. What can uh, I okay. tell you? Well, that's fine, but that doesn't mean you have to like the school. Um, one of my friends went to Boston College, and it's, you know, because I went to BU, that's a rivalry. I hate him. But here, this is the thing. This is where you and I differ. You don't, um, you don't root against things in sports. You don't often root that much for it because you've kind of, you know, removed yourself from fandom, although we, we know that that's not always the case. But I would argue that in addition to the love of rooting for your team and the community that it creates, right? We're all here. We all root for the Eagles. It's what we share in the Delaware Valley. We carry this bond so that when they finally win the championship and 2 million people go to the parade, we are brothers and sisters. Correct. The other part of that is one of the fun aspects of being a sports fan is rooting against somebody in this town, obviously, the Cowboys, the Giants, the Mets. I mean, we know the, the Devils. We know the, the Celtics. We know the, we know the Hateds, right? Mm -hmm. Now, most of those are because they are a direct rival of one of our teams. College basketball, we talked last week about kind of the big five rivalries and how we all try to rise above it, that you know, St. Joe's may hate Villanova during the season, but if they go to the tournament, sure, we're going to root for each other. That you know, we're we're brothers who fight, but in the end, we like each other. Mm -hmm. That but used to be you, true. I'm not so sure that it is, but it used to be that they didn't they didn't root for each other. or They did. Oh, I thought they did. I mean, back in the I think they do again now because okay. I think the rest of the Big Five is just kind of said uncle, and it's like the rest of the Big Five. I don't want to say isn't relevant. That's not what I want to say, but it's not competitive and so it's like Nova's the only hope they got yeah I think that's true but even in the 60s and 70s when it was a much more uh level playing field among the five schools and the rivalry was very heated when they played each other um if one of the teams got on a run and got into the tournament and started winning some games you felt the whole city unite behind them I mean that was true even yeah, in okay. the days when the rivalry was a true rivalry yeah, and I think it's returned to that a little bit as much as people care about it. I don't think people care about it the way they used to, which is unfortunate. They care about the NCAA, but the Big Five doesn't carry what it used to. But but I think the city, but I think the people in the city do root for Jay Wright. I yes. think I think, oh, I think he is a I think he's a unanimously embraced figure in this city and should be. Great point. So, um, but I don't have a, a, I don't root. Well, I didn't go to any of the Big Five schools, so I don't. I don't carry that same spirit either of love or animosity that I would have had I actually – I taught at St. Joe, but I never went to St. Joe. I never went to Temple. Mm -hmm. um, so I need an enemy. Part of being a sports fan is I need an enemy. And Duke is so easy with the smugness. And so I, I thoroughly enjoyed it last night. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait, i got to find – let me find Mike Vrieswick's uh, tweet again. Let me find it here. Uh – so long, rat face. <laughs> he took it well. Um, yeah, with Mike, Mike, give I us a call. 215-5929. Hold on. I, I just want to put out a personal plea. I don't know what Mike Vrieswick is doing, probably playing in a CYO game somewhere. But if you're not, Mike, 215-592-9494. I need you to, to, to further the point. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Ray. <laughs> no, that's okay. I, I, had very, I had very limited dealings with Mike Krzyzewski over the years. I mean, just... 
at my newspaper days interviewed him you know three or four times that yeah. was that was it so and he was always fine with me i mean i never i never had an issue with him but i had, i had seen i had seen film clips of him in other press conference settings where he was kind of snippy and he was kind of uh condescending i mean i could see him be that way with student reporters too yeah i mean you know they're kids they're trying to learn the craft give them cut them a break the worst the worst ever the the worst ever was bobby knight i mean he oh, well, was yeah God, yeah. God, he was a miserable person. Yeah, and he he thrived on that. I mean, and he I, did, was, he did. Yeah. He he sort of he, he sort of gloried in it for some yeah. reason. It was a per, it was a perverse. There were a lot of perverse aspects to his personality, but one of them was that he really liked bullying reporters. I mean, yeah. that that was that was along a, with everybody. That was a game to him. Yeah, sure. And I I was uh, not that I was the bully, but I was in a room once when he was doing that to somebody, and I almost spoke up and said, "What?" But I didn't. Anyway, just okay. Uh, something, uh, something else. That game last night, and it, you know, Duke lost, but had Duke won or lost, it was a great game. It was a classic game. It was a thing of beauty. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Exciting back and forth. I don't think either team got ahead by more than five points. Uh, certainly in the second half, nobody did. And um, so I'm going to throw something in here. And I actually, uh, I hold on. I got to find it. I hold in my hand. A $25 gift card to the Conshohocken and Brewing Company, uh, of which I think people know I am a part. Five suburban locations in Conshohocken, King of Prussia, Haverdown, Phoenixville, and Bridgeport. And we'll give one of these out today. I'll put it in the mail for somebody. And here's the question. And I didn't really give you a lot of time to prepare, so if you want to think about it, you can. I'm going to throw one out here. The best game, and by the way, Moshe Kravitz, our producer, has to listen to this because I guarantee you a lot of people are going to get this wrong. The best game, best sporting event. Not involving a Philadelphia team, two ground rules, not involving a Philadelphia team, and not a title game, not the Super Bowl, not the NCAA final. This was the semifinal. The best game not involving a Philadelphia team, nor a title game, any sport, any level, last 10 years. Because I think the one last night is in the running. Really? Oh, I love it. It was a great game. It was a riveting game. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so you you got more enthusiastic about it than I did after the Villanova game. My interest level just <laughs> uh, it, it went way down. I mean, I was I I mean, it was I was sort of just watching it with one eye to be honest with you. I thought it was one for the ages. Yeah, I, I, thought, mean, I, I, rec- I really did. I recognized that it was a good and game. All the but, drama involved with it and the backstory, and it was it was a really well played game. No, I, to a large degree, I kind of checked out after Villanova. Sorry to okay. say, but I kind of well, did. I get it. I understand. But I watched every minute of that second game and, and really enjoyed it, and not just because Duke lost. I enjoyed it because it was high-level, great college basketball, an eight seed, right, knocking off the high seed. Uh, everything about it I thought was great. Um, so do you have, and if you're not, I'll give you one, which will surprise you, a game that you remember in the last 10 years, not a Philadelphia team, not a championship game. Um, no, nothing comes to mind immediately. I'm going to give you one, and it's going to be college football, right? Oh, yeah? Yeah. I'm going to go back to 2013, and I'm going to give, remember last 10 years, the Iron Bowl, Alabama-Auburn, 28-28. Nick Saban goes for a long field goal, and the kid on Auburn, uh, Chris Davis, was mm-hmm. his name? Mm-hmm. Just standing uh, under the crossbar, catches it, 109-yard return to win the game, 
that was tied 28-28. Great game. I remember watching that game, and I'm not Mr. College Football and thinking this is one of the best games I ever saw. Yeah, well, I remember that's that's actually a good one. I I do remember that. I remember that game, and that was that was a classic. That that really was a classic. I mean, the the SEC fans will are still we're going well. They still talk about it and they're going to talk about that one forever. That was and the rivalry, was great, the whole thing. Yeah, it, was, so, it, was, so, it, it had all the elements. You're right. Yeah. So that's what we're looking for: is a great game, any level, any sport. Can't be a championship game. Cannaval, Philadelphia, last 10 years. Somebody win the Conchi uh, Brewing gift card. And, of course, remember, if you call about that, do Moshe Kravitz, our producer, a favor. Have something else that you want to talk about. We don't want people just to win prizes, which is why we don't often give away prizes. We want you to have a good conversation and then put that on. Let's get Dennis before the break. You're on with Ray and Glenn. Hello, Dennis. Yeah, hey, Glenn. Uh, I don't know. I was listening to your monologue about the Villanova game. Sounds like the way you guys are talking. It was a blowout from the start to the finish. And it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a blowout. They got down 19 points. They came back within 10 at halftime. And with five minutes left, they were down six points. Right. Now, yeah, but did, but, but did you really feel that they, that, yeah, that they yeah. were? Well, well, see, I didn't. Yeah. I, I really didn't. I, I mean, I knew they were that close, but I just had the feeling that Kansas was still in control of the game. I yeah, never well, really, I, yeah, I know they made their runs, and I know they got the score down to six, but I, I never really felt they were going to get over the hump. I just didn't. Yeah, but they lost their best player. Yeah, we once brought that up. Well, that's, oh, that's, no that's a whole yeah, different issue. said that going that's into it. it, yeah. They hung in there. I'd expect them to win, but the guy they had who double-digit, double-rebound, defensive guy, but it wasn't a blowout from start to finish. Yeah, it was a blowout. No, it was? So, yeah, it was a blowout. Here, here's here's my view of it. What's a blowout to you? A blowout to, oh, me, a blowout to me is when, when, you, when you are down early in the game 10 to nothing and you end up losing by 16 points. That's a blowout. Yeah, but that's the last four minutes of the game. And the first ten minutes of the game. And here's here's how I view it, okay? He's not down. You say got Ozzy after the here, first five Here's minutes. how I view it, Dennis. Okay? And and I get the feeling you feel like we're taking an anti-Villanova stance. We're just kind of observing the game. They played they played bravely without their second best player, but they got blown out. I don't I don't think Jay Wright would disagree, but I view it that they got thrown off the wharf underwater. Finally, got above water for a little bit. Tread water, and in the end—well, I hate the way I'm going to say this—but in the end, they drowned. And that's that they was were the, in game. the game. Though. They were in the game with five. Well, okay, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think they were. See, I don't feel that. I, yeah, I don't no, feel that I don't way. Think so. I mean, I was, I, you know, I, listen, I was rooting for them as much as anybody, uh, and when I saw them get to within six, I, I just didn't feel. I just didn't feel they were going to overcome it. I just, it, they just never felt to me like. That they were going to take control of the game. To me, to me, even at six points, to me, Kansas was still in control of the game. It really yeah. was. Yeah, and that's the closest you got. It's not like you were at six points for a long time. It's no, like you, you made. We all knew they were going to make some kind of run, some kind of push, and they made the push, and that's as close as they got. And then it, they kind of sunk below that water again. Uh, 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. As we said, give us the best game, any sport, any level. Not Philadelphia team the last 10 years. Give Moshe Kravitz something else that you want to talk about. Coming up, the Ray Didinger NFL Draft Preview. What do we got today, Ray? Well, I uh, decided I was going to do defensive backs over this weekend uh -huh. since I think that the Eagles 
could use a little help in that area. So yesterday we talked about, uh, I gave you my five best cornerbacks. Today yep. I'm going to give you my five top safeties. Uh, I would love it. The second coming of Brian Dawkins on the Eagles, right, Ray? Uh, I don't see one of them out there, no. All right, well, <laughs> we'll find out what you do see. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now, Sunday morning on 94 WIP. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast t-mobile has invested billions to light up america's largest 5g network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Right in, you're Glenn Mack. Now, all right, a couple things. Coming up at 11, we are going to talk for the first time to Alex Coffey, who is the new uh, Phillies beat writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Looking forward to catching up with her. And at noon, Derek Bodner of The Athletic is going to give – I'm sorry, no longer of The Athletic. Derek Bodner has got his own gig going on, uh, is going to give us kind of his take on the Sixers. They had a big win yesterday. Ray, by the way, I had several people thank you, tell me to thank you, for uh, suggesting people bet heavily on the Sixers. Oh, yeah. Uh, these people followed your advice, and I think they made back all the money they lost on Hawaii all those years ago. That's, as I said, bet everything you got on the Sixers in this game. That, that, that to me, had blowout written all over it. And, indeed, it was. We'll also talk to Derek about the weird Ben Simmons grievance against the Sixers. Uh, so all of that is coming up. But right now, it is time for the Ray Dinger NFL Draft Preview. Well, yesterday we talked about uh, the top cornerbacks in this draft, and there are a lot of them. Uh, and, and in a draft that has a lot of really deep, talented areas, 
Uh, cornerback is one of the best. I think the, the strongest area is still edge rusher, uh, but there are a lot of really good cornerbacks. We discussed five of them yesterday. I'm going to go to the safety position today, and I'm going to give you my top five. Uh, safety position, not quite as good as, as a cornerback position, but still good. I would, give that, I would give the safety crop a B this year, which is actually pretty good. Safeties tend to be a little up and down, um, not all that uh, deep and talented. This year's group is better than most, so I give them a B. Uh, and starting off, the number one guy, I think, by everybody's determination at this point, is Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame. Uh, he's, he's an unusual-looking safety in that he is so tall and lanky. Uh, he's 6'4". They list him at 220. He looks thinner than that. Uh, I know he was 220 because they've done the pro day and they weighed him, and that's what he came in at. But he, he actually looks skinny at 220. Hmm. Uh, but he's big. He obviously has tremendous range back there, and he can really run. He's a 4'4 guy. Uh, he's not gangly. He's not awkward at all. I mean, he's very graceful, and he's really, really good. He, uh, if I think he can play in almost any system to me. I mean, he can play both strong safety, but to me he's a natural free safety uh, and if you're a, a zone, a predominantly zone defense kind of team where you like your free safety to play that kind of center field role, uh, this guy is ideal for that. Um, so he's going, to be, he's going to be a high pick. I've seen some people think he could be a top five, which is really high for safety. Wow. You, do, you usually yeah. don't see safeties go that high. Uh-uh. But he's an unusual case. And um, if he went top five, it wouldn't surprise me. He will certainly go top ten. Uh, and is clearly, to me, the class of this group. Uh, number two, <laughs> I'm, no, coming as no surprise, I'm going to go back for another one of my University of Georgia guys. Uh, I'm going to go for Lewis Seen, who's a, a little bit more of your conventional safety, 6'1", 200 pounds, also a 4'4 runner. Um, he was the leading tackler on a great defense. I mean, we all I've, I've talked endlessly about how good this Georgia defense was, and I really do think you're probably going to have seven Georgia defenders drafted in the first two rounds this year. I mean, it's that good. And Lewis Seen was the was the leading tackler on that defense. Um, he just take he just has a great instinct. He has great takes great angles to the football, tacks the line of scrimmage. Excellent wrap up form tackler, um, and probably the most physical and the biggest hitter among these safeties. So if you're looking for a safety that really is going to bring the wood uh, on every play, Lewis Seen is your guy. Um, Jahan Petrie is, the, is my number three, a kid from Baylor. I got to see play for that really good Baylor team this year. Um, also six feet tall, 197 pounds, also runs 4-4. That's one of the things that's interesting about this safety crop is you have a lot of guys here that are really fast. So, I mean, uh-huh. sometimes safeties, you know, there's a big drop-off in terms of speed from the corner to the safety position. Not so much this year at the top of the draft. You've got safeties here that run like corners. Uh, and the guys who are physical, they combine it with really good foot speed. So Petri is, to me, I said seen as is kind of the more physical, um, hard tackling kind of safety. Petrie is more the ball hawk kind of safety. He's the guy that goes for the football. He had 11 takeaways in the last two seasons. Uh, led the Big 12 in tackles for losses with 18, which is a lot for a safety. Uh, he can play safety. He can play nickel. He's a very versatile player. Uh, has excellent anticipation and really good quickness. He just a little scary about him as he has a little bit of an injury history. He had a little, was hurt a little bit in high school, got hurt a little bit at Baylor. Nothing serious, but just something to kind of keep your eye on. But the tape is so good on him that I've got him as number three. Number four is Daxton Hill from Michigan. 
six feet tall, kind of in the same mold, 190 pounds. Um, he's probably the best pure cover player at the safety position out of this group. Uh, if, you want, if you're thinking about using your safety in man-to-man situations, if you're thinking about maybe swinging your safety over and having him play as a slot defender, Daxton Hill is probably your guy because he has that kind of one-on-one coverability. He could actually probably be a cornerback, but that's not his best position. He should play inside, either on the slot or at the safety position. Good player. And I'm going to round it out here. I'm sure the Penn State fans out there are saying, you really are going to put Jaquan Brisker <laughs> in there, aren't you? And yes, I am. He's my number five. Six one two oh five. Doesn't have quite the same stopwatch speed as the other guys. He's more of a four or five guy, but he's certainly fast enough. Um, just has a real solid physique. He's built like a he's built like a real physical kind of player. Um, he's excellent at getting off blocks and getting to the football. He really has a textbook tackling form. Um, I think that he is a guy that needs to be in his own coverage thing. I don't think he's a great man-to-man defender, um, but he's got he's got an awful lot of smarts and he's a physical player. And I think in the right system can be very productive. So those are my five safeties: Kyle Hamilton, Lewis Seen. Jahan Petrie, Daxton Hill, and Jaquan Brisker from Penn State are my—they're the top five safeties. But there are more in this draft. It's a really good area. And the Eagles, you and I have talked about it. They need some work in the secondary, yeah. and yeah. there are good cornerbacks in this draft. And this year, unlikely, but there are some really good safeties as well. Who's going to be there in the second round with that pick? Where they pick sixty or something like that? Oh, uh, I would say in the first. You know, Hamilton could be the only safety to go in the first round, mm-hmm. just because that's how teams that's yeah. how teams value. sort of don't yeah. value safeties. Mm-hmm. You know, Hamilton, I, like I said, I think will probably be almost certainly be a top ten. Um, I think Scene. I think Scene will certainly be there in the second round. Okay. I'm a little higher on him than some people are because some people question how good a, um, a a pass defender he is. There's no yeah. question about his physical play or his ability to play in the box, mm-hmm. but. Um, I think because of that, and there's some questions about that, he will probably be there in the second round. That would be, for the Eagles, if they haven't already addressed it, he would be a fine second-round pick. Good stuff, Ray. Good stuff. All right, there you go, Ray's draft report. We'll do that every show between now and when the draft begins on April 28th. Let's get Mark in Chad's Ford. You're on with Ray and Glenn. Hey, Mark. Hey, Ray and Glenn. Love the show, man. Glenn, thank you so much for the, for the, the opening comments about Duke. <laughs> it's a great day with no Coach K. He, I, 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 I just think, I just think he's overrated. I, and, and I, and I go back to the 2018-19 team that he had. He had the top three recruits: Zion, Barrett, and uh, and Cam Reddish, and he didn't even get to the final. He, he did nothing. Yeah, listen, I, I don't, uh, I don't criticize him as a coach. I criticize the institution, the fan base, and some of the things he's done. But he's sure. won, what he won three three titles, right? Three championships. Um, I think three, yeah. yeah. Or at least at least three, yeah. But but could, could you make the argument that Jay Wright's a better coach than he is? Because look at the blue chip talent that he gets every year, and and, and now he's playing the one and done game. He, he's not he's not even coaching these kids. Yeah, well, that's that is true. What Duke has done in recent years is what. Listen, it's it's the game as it is today. So I don't begrudge him for that. You're you and I are in the same street, but we're walking in different directions. Um, yeah, you have to be you have to be careful if you're talking about the winningest coach of all time being yeah, overrated. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to criticize <laughs> his ability as a coach. That's I'm not I'm not going with that. Uh, Brandon in Brookhaven is with us. Hello, Brandon. 
Hey guys, I um, have two questions for you. One, the last question is a very quick draft question for Ray. But first, I saw on April Fool's that T.O. was going to unretire. I yeah, still I take him over uh, Rager any day of the week. Just, <laughs> just saying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, my question is about the Flyers. Um, they're not watchable, in my opinion. And this, I'm not as familiar with NHL drafts as the NFL drafts. Is there anything in this draft, and how would is there any way to rebuild this team and make them somewhat watchable next season? I cannot tell you the talent in the NHL draft coming up. I really don't. I, obviously, they're going to have a top five pick, but I can't tell you what that's going to translate to. I think okay. they're in big trouble in in the long term because um, they don't have a lot of good young players either on the team or coming up. So it's not like you can say, "Hey, they're bad," but look at this guy. Look at this guy. Those guys are going to be better in a couple of years. You know, some of the guys I think they were really counting on let him down. I'll put Provorov at the top of the list. Ray, you and I thought he was going to be a superstar. That didn't happen. No, it didn't. And I think they, uh, I think it's a real tough rebuild for them. I don't, yeah, I don't know the pathway do that they do it. I don't know free agency either. But my very quick uh, NFL draft question is uh, just your opinion, Ray. If you're Howie, would you consider trading one of these first for next year's first? So just in case we do need to trade up for a quarterback next yeah. season, um, would you that, do it? Yeah, Brandon, that's uh, that's been talked about. Uh, a lot of people have speculated on that. Um, I think the, maybe the safest bet in this draft is that Howie is not going to sit at 15, 16, 19 and just take three players. He's just not. I mean, he's I, – I, I would be – if he did that, if he just stayed in those with those three picks and just picked the best player on the board – Personally, I would be fine with it because I think there are that many good players there, and I think the Eagles have that many needs. But I would be, I would be fall out of my chair shocked if he did because he just he just loves he just loves the wheeling and dealing part of it, yeah. and he's never been. And he's good, a, by the way. He's good at that part of it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, sometimes you know, I think sometimes he's a little too smart by half. I mean, sometimes you wind up trading and trading, and you wind up with Marcus Smith. And sometimes you trade and you trade and you wind up with Touché. Kevin Cobb. Touche. I mean, that happens. I yeah. mean, and sometimes uh, that's that's the danger of doing it. But sometimes it works. I mean, last year he made the he made the trade and very smartly, you know, jumped ahead of the Giants and he got Devontae Smith. I mean, so but he just loves he just loves the trading aspect of this and he's armed with three first round picks and so his phone is going to be ringing plenty and he's going to answer at some point. But. Um, that the scenario that Brandon laid out, the idea that the Eagles will trade one of those number ones for a number one next year plus some other stuff, I I, I could see that happening because then it gives them another first round pick next year that possibly if they decide at that point that the Jalen Hurts thing isn't working out, that now you're sitting there with two first round picks and you're in a better position to go get that guy if you feel like you need to do that. Yep, I get that. I think that's uh, I I. I... I wouldn't have a problem with that. And by the way, all of this is why mock drafts are, I don't want to say a waste of time, because they're fun to read. Oh, yeah. But they, in the end, don't really amount to a whole lot. So okay. No, and having done them for years, I know that they, you, know, you, can, do the, you can do the most studied dra mock draft imaginable. Uh, and within the first hour of draft night, it's blown to pieces. But it gives us plenty to talk about in the days leading up to it. Oh, and we will. Coming up, by the way, Ray is going to put an Eagle legend in perspective. 
Uh, and we will take your calls, 215-592-9494. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mac, now 94 WIP. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame... Two more rings, two more. You deserve this ice-cold reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. So, Ray, news came earlier in the week that somebody who was a huge part of the Eagles' Super Bowl uh, win and run uh, retired. He had been gone from the Eagles, but... I will always, Ray, remember Malcolm Jenkins more than anything for this play. This drive starts from the 37-yard line. Brady stepping up. Deep downfield, wide open. Brandon Cooks. And he gets smacked down at the 40-yard line, taking some shot there by Jenkins. So he was spinning around, and he is down after a 23-yard game. That play is sometimes forgotten, Ray, within all of the other amazing moments of the Super Bowl. Right. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of defense in that game. <laughs> no, and there wasn't a lot of defense, but that was it. Cooks was done for the day. He was. And I think that that was – I think that really helped the Eagles. Oh, it did for sure. Yeah, because, um, you know, Brandon Cooks's NFL career has never really quite been what everybody thought it was going to be. Um, but he was, at that time, probably playing his best football. And I know going into that game that um, that he was a big part of the game plan for the Patriots in that game. Um, you know, they had Gronkowski, they had Edelman, but he was their deep threat. He was their he, he was the guy they were hoping to if they were going to hit the big play, they were going to hit it with him. And uh, and Jenkins took him right out of the game. And it was uh, you know Malcolm Malcolm is a just a really good player. I mean, for 13, 13 seasons in the NFL. Not a whole lot of cornerbacks, and not, not a whole lot of safeties, not a whole lot of DBs hang around that long. Um, but Jenkins did. Uh, he, was, he was just a really good player, a really good, smart player. Um, was tremendously valuable in that Eagles defense in terms of being able to keep the secondary together, get everybody in position. Um, they missed him terribly when he left. But I thought that, and you mentioned that play as being significant and interceptions he made big plays at big times but I, I think just the leadership that he provided within that team in that locker room was invaluable and I, I remember I remember the game in Los Angeles when Carson Wentz got hurt and everybody kind of thought the season was lost and um, I guess most people by now have seen the video of how Malcolm Jenkins got the guys together in the locker room uh, in Los Angeles before they had even gotten on the bus to come home uh, when they were now fully aware of what had happened and that Wentz wasn't coming back. And that was when Malcolm got the guys together and he said, uh, uh, we all we got and we all we need, yep. was what he said. And that became the mantra for that team. And um, and that was and they kind of rallied around that. They kind of rallied around that emotion. 
and uh, the leadership of that of that veteran corps, and Malcolm was certainly part of it, as was Chris Long, um, really held that team together and helped carry them to a championship. Correct. Ray, I'm going to let you handle this next call. I think you're probably more equipped to do so. Uh, a certain local basketball legend named Gene Banks is checking in. I'm not sure he went to college, but he wants to talk to you, Ray. <laughs> Gene Banks, what an honor. Yes, I'm, I'm here. It's, a, it's an honor for you guys. I'm I've been here. My son keeps me posted on your show, and he listens to you guys' show all the time. Well, we appreciate that. Well, Gene Banks, for those for those people who don't know, is one of the. Uh, I mean, the term legend is thrown around far too freely. But Gene Banks, for anyone who follows high school basketball in the city of Philadelphia, um, knows that Gene Banks was a true basketball legend here in Philadelphia, and went to Duke and played at Duke and was part of a championship team at Duke, and. Um, um, uh, it's really, uh, I, I didn't know that I didn't know that you had any links to, to WIP, but it's nice of you I to check have, in. I, I do have links. I, I listen to you guys. All you Philly people are listening out there. I check on you guys all the time from time to time from a long distance. And, and from, I hear your little, your messages. So remember when I'm listening. So <laughs> this was, yeah, well, then I'm imagining I'm you got a bone to pick with me about my anti-Dukeness. So let's do it. I've been I've been hearing about that, but I'm I'm not calling you about that. It, it, it's okay. I'm not, I, oh, okay. Everybody can't everybody can't love Duke. I, mean, I understand. Okay. <laughs> okay. Where do you want to go with this? Well, the one thing I wanted to say was that uh, for one thing, the, the game was it was a great game. Uh, it was a wonderful game. Uh, the Duke guys have played very very well. Villanova. Uh, I want to give a shout out to them. Jay Wright. Uh, I mean, I, I'm a Philly guy always. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. And I was cheering for them. Uh, they did a great job. So, uh, when looking at all this stuff that's happening, it it, it takes me back to '78 when I when I went to the, uh, the the Final Four and all that, and and what it takes to get there. So, uh, I just want to give kudos to them, and it's an interesting way of losing. I mean, finishing out your season with Coach K and Hubert Davis. Yeah, yeah, it's really true. It really is true, Gene. As a as a guy who. Um, I mean, played at Duke, understands the lore of Duke, understands, the, you know, the spotlight that's on Duke. Um, the, the, the old expression in sports is you never want to be the guy who follows the legend. What's it right. going to be like for the guy who has to follow Mike Krzyzewski? Well, let me tell you this much. I, I know Josh. Uh, I've been around. I've been to their practices. We've engaged on the summertime. Love him. He's a great, you know, he, he looks like that. We're like Fran McCaffrey. We, we, I give Fran McCaffrey a shout-out. You never knew Fran McCaffrey plays basketball the way he looks. He looks like a banker. He does. That's but, true. <laughs> but back, but back then he was like Pete Maravich, the greatest ball handling skills ever. And John Shire has come up through the ranks. You know, he he got recruited by him in ninth grade. He played for the team. They won a championship. He's been working for nine years. So it's a great, great fit. Now here's the catch. You guys ready for this? Sure. This is where the African American black players are had some issues. That is because a couple of years ago, Coach K and Tommy Amaker somewhat had, he wanted Tommy Amaker basically, it was allegedly and, and spoken out there, to take over the program two years ago. And it was really a, a set deal, kind of. But then all of a sudden, now all this has happened, now you take you get John Shire when all the administrators and people at Duke wanted Tommy Amaker. And there was something that happened there where either somebody had to stand down or step down or step away. And I'll tell you this much, which is the most I can say to you, is that Tommy's not very happy about it, but he's not going to, you know, Tommy's not the kind of guy to cause a big mess. 
Interesting. It really is. Boy, it, if, if they have, uh, I don't know if it overstates its ascension in the rank, but if they have some degree of controversy after this, that is certainly not the way Coach K would have wanted the the uh, program to move forward. Gene, did yeah, you? I was going to say, did, did you go? But did you go back to Cameron for Coach K's final home game? I was there. Yeah, I was there. I was there. It was it was magical. It was fantastic. The respect I get, you know, I'm they all those guys call me the Godfather, which is which is. Uh, uh, really interesting. I, I like that. You know, Christian Layton always says, you started all this, basically. You know, so uh, that's the great respect that I get from them. But, yeah, I was there, and there's a picture right behind him when they took the center uh, court picture. So uh, I'm the link between all of that, I guess, that happens. It's very nice. Well, listen, we, we are uh, flattered and honored that you called. I would uh, wish you condolences on the loss last night, but uh, I have to tell you, I thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed the moment. Yeah, I cried my eyes out all night. Yeah. I, I couldn't speak. I got it. We got it. Well, we're glad you recovered enough to call us this morning, sir. I'm doing good. And shout out to all my Philadelphia people. I love you guys. And my son is here. He came down to Philadelphia to spend a day with me to watch the game. So uh, uh, you guys keep doing a great job. Thank you. I love Philly. You guys continue on doing what you're doing. Thank you, Gene. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wow. Well, was his high school career predating your arrival here? I'm trying to think. Oh, yeah. I guess it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was West Philly. Um. He had more – he got – Glenn, I got to tell you, he probably was the most written-up, celebrated high school athlete um, in Philadelphia, uh, if you go back. And, and the thing was you had a couple of high school writers. The newspapers back then actually wrote about the high schools, mm-hmm. uh, and you had two really good writers who were covering high schools at that time, uh, a fellow named Julius Thompson, who worked with me at the Philadelphia Bulletin, uh, and none other than Gary Smith. Yeah, I know that. The great uh, writer for Sports the gr- Illustrated. Who was, the, who was yeah. the great writer at that time, just starting out at the Philadelphia Daily News. Yeah. Uh, and Julius and Gary uh, covered Gene throughout his high school career. Uh, and then the whole recruiting craziness that followed and then the decision to go to Duke and then throughout his basketball career. And there's a really fine book written about that Duke team. Not that you'll ever read it, but for anybody that has an interest, <laughs> uh, written by the great John Feinstein. Can called, I hate read it? Oh, I know. Fe- oh gosh, Feinstein is one of the ones, and I like John, but he's one of the ones. Who oh, he's. Oh, the, he wears his Duke, Duke thing on his sleeve for sure. Oh, and he, he wrote. Uh, he wrote a. He really wrote a great book about the team that had Rich. Gene Banks. I think it was called the Forever Team. Yeah, forever. and it's it's really really well done. Yeah, it's great. It's a great book. I, I'll do right next. Uh, next. Uh, my birthday's coming up later this month. Right. Feel free to get. Well, there you go. Me. But in a city that has. Uh, a, a very rich high school basketball history, yeah. uh, which the Philadelphia certainly does. Oh yeah, Gene Banks is you know if you're putting together the Mount Rushmore of Philadelphia All-timer. high school basketball, Gene Banks is right there. Yeah, yeah. By the way, I, uh, he's uh, two years younger than I, so I was not here when he played. No, I guess not. No, I was just, uh, was in high school. <laughs> uh, Ted in Harleysville wants to talk about quarterbacks in the NFL. What do you got, Ted? Hey, I'm a big fan of uh, Jalen Hurts, but. It's frustrating once in a while when you uh, watch the replay and he misses open guys, so it's a decision-making process. I was just wondering in the NFL if they have virtual reality where those guys wear those things over their eyes and play film so that they can identify and make better decisions during the game in that time spirit, that time segment. It's fast. I mean, obviously the NFL is the fastest uh, game around 
And then I have two other points I want to make. Uh, I have the only time I ever saw that was in a commercial that Mike Vick did years ago. Right. And I think it was just a commercial. <laughs> I don't think it's actually used. And I understand. Sense. Listen, I understand your frustration um, with Hertz. Ray, did I hear that he's working with Tom House? Is that a rumor or is that a confirmed thing? Um, the the Eagles have made reference to him working with coaches in the off season. Uh, I but I I haven't heard them say who they those coaches were. Okay, I know I heard it, but I don't know if I heard it as like a truth. I thing. would really like to see him working with Jordan Palmer. Yeah, you mentioned Carson that. Palmer's Carson brother, brother, who's who's had who's had tremendous results working with all kinds of different quarterbacks, most notably, obviously, Josh Allen, who, I mean, he really has credited Jordan Palmer with making the biggest difference from the rookie that he was to the MVP that he is now. Um, I think Jordan Palmer is regarded as the best. And I, if he's working with any, if, Jer, if Jalen Hurts is working with anybody, that's the guy I'd like to see him working with. Well, that's funny because I called in uh, years ago and uh, was a big fan of Carson Wentz going to Tom House and asking why he didn't do it in year two and year three. The other thing, Ray, uh, Glenn, is that my wife took me by the ear, and we went down to the Sleep Number store after she heard uh, your endorsement, uh, and we bought a little car also. That's the greatest. Pretty, that is pretty funny, but we bought it from the same guy that sold it to you. Is that right? <laughs> and that guy holding, and he didn't even know who you were. Which no, he didn't know who I was, which was perfectly great. I had no problem with that. And I, and, I, and listen, I, I'm glad that you like it. And I, I'm Ray, not that the audience cares that much. I'm sleeping seven plus hours a night. I haven't done that in 20 years. I'm glad to hear that. And apparently you are as well. We haven't gotten ours yet. So uh, you the, love it. Hey, the, the best game that I think uh, is the uh, field of dreams game with the Yankees and the White Sox. Ooh. And they hit Homer after Homer in the last innings, out in the Iowa field side, I think that was the classic. That's not a bad. That that's question. not a bad one. All right, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna put that on the list, which right now is a very short list, but I like it. <laughs> I'm glad he brought up baseball. Right, coming up, uh, Philly F. Inquirer has a new Phillies beat writer this year. Her name is Alex Coffey. I've been enjoying her work during spring training. She's going to join us. We'll do a little Phillies preview. And we will take your calls at 215-592-9494. Ray Didinger, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? 
Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.